Hello, everyone. I am super excited about today's episode. It's another solo episode with yours truly, and I am talking about creating a wildlife-friendly yard. So no matter how small your yard is, even if you can just put a couple of plants outside your stoop, I'm going to give you some advice that can help you and wildlife. We're going to talk about the importance of these backyard habitats, and then next week's episode is going to follow along this theme. I'm going to talk about the mammals that we photographed in our e-mammal camera traps in a study across yards and wild spaces, and I'm also going to add some school data in there as well. So today's episode is based off of a blog post I wrote a while back called uh, Six Easy, Six Super Easy Tips for a Wildlife-Friendly Yard. I think it was actually called something like Wildlife-Friendly Tips if you're lazy or something like that, because I'm very lazy with my yard and you'll find how that comes into play. Anyway, because it is such a gorgeous day today, I am actually sitting in my backyard. So you might hear some birds. I have dogs and one of my dogs, he just turned a year old and he is very playful. So if you hear some growling in the background, that is him just trying to get my older dog to play with him. So let's get started in learning about what we can do to help out wildlife in our own backyards. Before we get started, I just wanted to talk about a new program that I am running and I need some founding members to help me co-create this project. It is for kids around ages of 8 to 12 and their parents. And the goal of this program is to get outside, get connected to nature, and get them learning about wildlife and nature by using real wildlife biology activities that we do as scientists so that they can learn about science, the process of science. So often in school, you're just you're just memorizing facts, you're just learning about animals, like what's this part called and what this animal does. But in this program, kids are really going to be learning what science is, and this will help them become more informed and more critical thinkers as, as citizens when they grow up. A big component of this program is to also get kids outside so we can get them off of their devices and interacting in nature which provides so many mental health, physical health benefits. I know that parents out there are struggling with what to do with their kids since the pandemic. Well, this program has got you covered. We're going to come up with really fun activities for kids to do. If you can't always go outside, that's okay. We're going to have virtual activities as well, virtual alternatives. We are going to interact as a group. You're going to interact with me as a scientist. I am just so excited for this program. So if you're interested, just head over to fancyscientist.com and you should see a tab for Kids Wildlife Program. You can sign up there and get some more information. Hi, I'm Dr. Stephanie Shuttler, a wildlife biologist who's learned throughout her career studying animals that science alone cannot save species. We need you. In the Fancy Scientist podcast, you'll learn about fun animals, conservation tips, and science advice, all while breaking stereotypes about what a scientist looks like. Let's get started.
because Earth Day is coming up, I am doing all content related to sustainability and eco-friendly living. So if you like this podcast and want more content like it, head over to my social media, especially my Instagram, where I'm posting different tips each day. Okay, so let's talk about backyard wildlife. And like I said, this comes from my post about six tips for a wildlife-friendly yard, but I'm probably going to go into more detail and probably give you some additional tips. But first of all, my dog literally... So I'm outside and my young dog literally jumped up on the chair next to me and started putting his butt like on my computer. He is such a goofball and a handful. Anyway, how to make your yard wildlife friendly. And why are we talking about backyard wildlife? Or why are we talking about yards in general? When people think of conservation, this is how I used to be too. We often think about these really faraway places like tigers in India or elephants in Africa, whales in the ocean. We tend to think of these really charismatic species. Another thing that's pretty typical, at least here to the United States, and it's definitely been done across the world, is this idea of protected areas. And protected areas are things like parks, national parks, wildlife reserves, um, In the West, here in the United States, we also have a lot of public lands, like those uh, managed by the Bureau of Land Management. I actually worked there when I first got out of college. My first internship, my first job in wildlife was working with the Bureau of Land Management at their St. George Field Office in St. George, Utah. If you want to hear about my experience, get my book, Getting a Job in Wildlife Biology. It was it was a struggle. I had a difficult time, and I'm really honest about what it was, what it was like. But I am so grateful for that experience because it got me my next job, which was at Disney's Animal Kingdom in their research lab there, uh, studying hormones of animals. Anyway, I digress. So we have all these protected areas, and I think a lot of people just think about protecting wildlife and saving species through these protected areas and these these areas definitely are extremely valuable for wildlife they are really important but these protected areas are not enough by far and most wildlife in the world including those areas where the there are more charismatic megafauna like elephants and stuff Oftentimes, there's more wildlife outside of the protected areas than there are inside the protected areas. So I know that's true for elephants, and there's a lot of species like that. So in other words, we can't rely on protected areas alone. There are also species that migrate, that migrate pretty long distances. So if you think about birds, monarchs, um, even insects like dragonflies, they, well, I guess butterflies are insects too, but a lot of people don't think about dragonflies for migration. They migrate um, continents. So here in North America, they migrate all the way down to Central and South America and back again. So there's not going to be a protected area that's going to be this like straight 
line going from north to south that would be really really nice but it's extremely hard to work across governments and with with development already occurring in some areas there's already cities established so that is near impossible so the point I'm trying to make is that in order for these protected areas to work, they have to have corridors in between them. And these corridors can be really long. So um, as in the migration example, you might have protected areas up north and uh, down south, but they will need places to stop along the way to recharge, to rest, to get food. Or these corridors might be... Um, really short and, and more local. So it might be between two different protected areas. Um, for example, in India, in central India, where I worked with children and their camera traps, there's a series of protected areas and there's corridors, or theoretically, there's corridors between these protected areas that the tigers can disperse in between. Now, people live in between those areas, so there can be human-tiger conflict, and of course, preserving habitat in these areas is constantly a challenge. But if we didn't have them, animals, and this is especially true of large animals like tigers um, and especially large carnivores, they need to go in between these protected areas to eventually disperse because frequently these protected areas are not, are not large enough and eventually the population gets too large. And in, and in the case of tigers in India, some of these are really, really small. And when the baby tigers grow up, they're going to need to establish their new territory. And you also want them to go in between the different areas so they can get some genetic exchange and avoid inbreeding. So in a nutshell, these little habitats in between protected areas are really important for wildlife. And science has traditionally focused on these protected areas, I feel like I've said protected areas a million times, parks <laughs> and um, other public lands that they can access, but your backyard actually has animals in it and it serves as habitat. Even if you live in really urban areas like New York City, there are still animals living within the city. There are coyotes living in Central Park. There are pigeons living outside of people's apartments. There are, um, there's pizza rat. <laughs> there's obviously rats. So you have animals living everywhere. So if you have a spot around your house, around your apartment, you can do some things to help out wildlife. Okay, so let's get into my tips. I don't think I'm going to number these because I'm probably going to run or I'm probably going to lose order and add things as I go. But I want to start off. This is um, my biggest tip. My first tip is actually just a major don't. It's not really... It's something that attracts wildlife, but it's not a good way to attract wildlife. And basically, my my big tip and the big message I want to get out there to people is do not feed wildlife directly. Do not, do not feed wildlife directly. And if you are a pet owner, keep your pet's food inside the house. Why don't we want to feed wildlife directly? 
Well, this is what causes problems and um, is likely the source of a lot of human wildlife conflict. This definitely happens with bears here in the United States. And in the 70s, people fed bears in Yellowstone. They thought it was really cute. But then the bears actively started breaking into the garbage there, which is annoying for the park. But then ultimately, they started even breaking into people's vehicles. Animals just become more aggressive, more bold when they are fed. Some of these animals, they either lose their instincts to forage for their own food or they choose not to. I've come across a lot of news stories about bears over the years. And one was about this person who fed bears uh, a bear donuts and this bear became too dependent on them, too, got too close to people and people were feeling scared because bears can harm people. Then either the person died or they moved. I can't remember, but the bear just stopped eating because it was addicted, it preferred donuts, and it like it starved itself to death um, and I guess got sick and died. So even if you think you're doing something good for wildlife by feeding them, you are actually causing to, them to become dependent and um, bolder and potentially more aggressive. And you have to think that you don't last forever. People move all the time and, um, you know, people obviously die. I was commenting on somebody's post in in a wildlife forum where they were feeding raccoons. And I mentioned, you know, when the food source ends that they can lose their, their ability to forage for food. And the person was like, well, I'm here. I'm feeding them. It's not going to end. But again, you're going to stay there forever. You know, nothing, nothing lasts forever. So it's best not to feed wildlife in the first place. You also don't know what wildlife you're feeding and certain wildlife species um, can be more aggressive, can be more dangerous than others. Again, this is the case with bears. And frequently when bears become too friendly to humans, too bold, they have to be, they have to be euthanized. There's been cases where the bears are translocated and that doesn't always work. There's been cases where the bear has traveled, I can't remember how many, but like hundreds or thousands of of miles to go back to its original place. So translocations are not always an option. One of the reasons why people think that coyotes are becoming bolder is because they are are eating left out food, perhaps for pets. Um, Although there are studies on coyotes that show that they do um, hunt a lot, like the, the Chicago coyotes mostly hunt. There is an animal that is debatable, or a, not an, an animal, but a whole, a whole taxon, and that is birds. A lot of people feed birds via bird feeders, and theoretically, this should be okay because birds don't really become aggressive towards people with bird feeders. But there are two problems associated with bird feeders. So the first one is that uh, people are messy. I know I've done bird feeders in the past and spilled a ton while filling filling it up. Um, And animals are messy too. So 
birds are messy. They drop a lot of seeds. Um, squirrels, of course, get into bird feeders, and even animals like bears can get into bird feeders. So, so even though you're feeding the birds, you might indirectly be feeding other wildlife like bears. The other problem with bird feeders is that they can spread diseases. And recently on um, an email I received from the North Carolina Wildlife Resources Commission, they believe that uh, bird feeders are linked to, um, to salmonella that is spreading across songbirds. Feeders can spread other diseases like E. coli, and I put in the show notes a link of a paper. It's from a while back. It's from the 80s, but they talk about um, what's found in bird feeders. So if you are going to have a bird feeder, then you must keep it clean. And if you listen to episode eight, I believe, of this podcast, I talked to ornithologist Lauren Farr, and she gives you tips for keep- keeping it clean, and I also have a blog post in the show notes. But it's pretty... Um, high maintenance. So if you're lazy like me, then I don't recommend having a bird feeder at all. Sorry to be the fun police here. Often biologists have to be the fun police. We're the ones telling you not to touch wildlife, not to get too close, but it's for usually for your safety. In this case, it's for the safety of the birds. If you really want to feed wildlife, I am actually going to encourage you to feed wildlife, but do it by planting native plants. That is really the best way to do it because when you plant with native species, you're planting plants that have that have lived in that area. They have uh, evolved with the soil, evolved with co-evolved with the different animals. And you are providing a food source for the different wildlife in your backyard. Let me take a second to define wildlife too. Um, it's a pretty, it's a rather ambiguous definition. But um, in terms of careers like wildlife biology, we it tends to apply to vertebrate animals and terrestrial animals. But really, a more encompassing definition of wildlife, and this is this is my definition outside of it for careers, is is really all living things. So when we're talking about wildlife, I am talking about plants, but. Um, I'm usually referring to animals in this case, but a lot of people do consider fungi, plants, wildlife. Okay, so the best way to help feed wildlife is by creating the natural ecosystem that the species evolved with. And you might be thinking like, okay, well, I want... um, you know, a carnivore, like a, like a red fox to, to come to my backyard. And how is plants going to help? They're not going to eat plants or birds. Well, it has to do with that what that animal eats. So the plants attract insects or the plants attract um, small, small mammals that the fox preys upon. And you're essentially bringing back the whole ecosystem. So even if you're not as excited about plants, I'm actually, I'm, I'm usually one to not get excited about plants, but I'm really trying to learn more about plants and identify um, or increase my identification skills and I have been doing a lot of seek and iNaturalist um, work in my backyard and on my walks. Those are two apps that are really amazing that help you identify um, any living species. 
So I am starting to get more into to plants. So if you can find um, native plants, you usually, you, you definitely have to go outside of like Home Depot and Lowe's. You're going to have to do some Googling in your area. Here in Raleigh, North Carolina State University has a native plants sale. And in the show notes, I'll include a link. Um, I think the National Wildlife um, Federation has a really good link for native plants. So I will add that. Yes, they do. So you could head over to their website and search your area. You can also um, see what kinds of plants attract what kinds of species. So if you're looking to attract certain species of butterfly, for example, they can help you out. Okay, so let's get back to some more tips. Now you want to think about going back to the the food source. You want to think about what animals need, and what they really need is uh, food. And they're just like us; we're animals too. So we need food, we need water, and we need shelter. So water you can supply different. Um, either you can try to create more natural sources of water, like a, like a little pond in your in your area. But it can just be something as simple as like putting out a little bird bath. Um, if you don't want to attract mosquitoes, then you can um, just clean it out regularly, um, just like your, your bird feeder, and you should be good to go. The next thing is there for shelter. So how do you create homes for animals? You, you can be more active in this, but honestly, it's just being really lazy about your yard. I am lucky in that I have a yard that is is pretty wild to begin with. It definitely was more landscaped before we moved in here, but now it's gotten really wild because I let things go. And I mean, it's definitely not perfect in terms of being, it's def, it doesn't consist of native plants. Um, it's actually a lot of exotic plants that I didn't plant. So in the future, I am gonna gonna go ahead and start planting more natives and, and work on my yard, but I don't really do anything to it. So I don't like, I don't pick up sticks. I don't rake leaves and um, all these different things. Like if you imagine tree branches falling over, um, it can create these little habitats for animals. One thing that we always did when I was a, when I was a kid, is we would take our Christmas tree and after we were finished with it, we would let it decompose in the backyard. And this could create little habitats for, for smaller mammals to enjoy. And of course, you can do more direct things like like put up a bat house to attract bats and bird houses, obviously for birds. But again, you can just like create these these habitats by leaving parts of your yard wild if you're not willing to forego the lawn completely. And if you have a homeowners association, you maybe could leave little patches more wild. Um, this is easier to do in your in your backyard than your front yard as well. You can even do little things like even if you do mow your lawn, you can mow your lawn less frequently. There's actually research, there's research out a couple of years ago that showed that when you reduce or when you yeah, reduce your, your lawn mowings, that this can still help out wildlife by increasing pollinators because you're giving usually um, the plants a time, a time to bloom. If you think about an unmowed lawn here in the United States, we often think about dandelions. 
The study also found that frequent mowing led to a higher spread of weeds and lawn pests. So you are doing um, two good things by by um, not mowing your lawn as frequently. Plus, if you're lazy like me, it works out really well with your schedule. Do you actually want to hear a secret? I have never mowed a lawn before in my life. I am turning 40 this year and I went my whole entire life without mowing a lawn. The reason why is because my my parents were, especially my mom, was like really specific about the way that she wanted things done. And I actually was not allowed to do a lot of chores because I didn't do them right. I didn't do them up to her standards. So rather than teach me, she just said, don't do it. But for the lawn, they also thought it was dangerous. So I just, I guess as as I got older, I just, I don't know, they never, they never taught me and we eventually had a service. And then I lived in apartments. And then when I got my first home, I had a husband and I, made him mow in a stereotypical way but he actually has really bad allergies here so he's gonna have to teach me how to mow and hopefully I won't hurt myself. My next tip is also for lazy homeowners and it's a great one for wildlife and that is it's another don't don't use pesticides. Actually every spring somebody knocks on my door and aggressively tries to convince me to have my home sprayed for insects or around my home for insects. They'll say, You're, I'm, doing, I'm out here doing two of your neighbors. Can we add you to the list? And this time, I actually do usually say this, but I said this year, I said, I don't, I don't want it because it harms animals. And they mentioned that it was natural and that it's safe for pets and children. And I'm like, well, obviously it harms animals because you're using it to kill the animals. And maybe we're talking about different animals here, but I don't want to kill those animals. So don't use pesticides. And the reason why is because these pesticides, um, they they get into our water and they can um, cause problems in the water supply, pollution. Um, But also they are decreasing insect populations. A couple of years ago, there was a report on an insect apocalypse that insect populations have declined by 25%. And again, maybe you don't really want to attract insects to your yard, but if you want birds, if you want mammals, if you want the, the cute and pretty stuff that you love, and insects can be cute and pretty, by the way, then you will need insects. So skip this stuff. Um, There's actually, I found one report that Americans are using pesticides at 10 times more than farmers. So this is crazy. Um, And there was another study that found that a decrease in insects reduced the survival rates of nestling great tits in urban area. Great tits are a bird for, it's a species of bird for those of you who might have a gutter mind. So again, if you care about animals like birds, then you have to care about what they eat. 
In addition to pesticides, you should also avoid using fertilizer as well. Farm runoff and fertilizer from our yards has been contributing to harmful um, algal blooms. These are actually really common in lakes across the United States and the world. And these blooms can actually generate toxins, which can... Uh, cause nausea, fever, and liver damage in humans and kill animals. That's um, that's microcystin, and I'll put a link to this article in the show notes that can help that can explain more about um, the problem with algal blooms, and um, unfortunately, just how it's getting worse. So again, just be lazy about your lawn and let it go. Going back to bugs. Don't use a bug zapper. Now, this seems obvious, but you might not think about it. But it kills um, food for important animals like bats and birds. So avoid using one and instead either just tolerate the bugs. I actually do this most of the time. I wear long sleeves or long pants. Maybe go inside when it's really bad. And you can buy some more natural products. I don't recommend bug spray. I think it it actually, like, I can, like, taste it in my mouth when I put it on. And it I just, I hate that for that alone. But I just also don't trust the ingredients. I am really careful about what I put on my skin. Because in the United States, the um, personal care industry is extremely unregulated. So I honestly don't trust myself wearing bug spray or you. I don't trust the companies. (laughs) The last one I'm going to talk about is another biggie. This is unfortunately a controversial one people get very heated about it they don't like to talk about it or they yell at each other or write nasty social media comments back to each back and forth to each other but this is to keep your cats indoors now let me tell you that I am a cat lover I well I'm an animal lover in general I don't have um, preferences I have cats and dogs and I love them both but Primarily, I keep my cats inside because that is the safest place for them. You don't have to worry about coming home to a roadkill kitty or my my former roommate. She would let her cat out and he would just come back like beat up sometimes because he got into fights with neighbor neighborhood cats. And one time we had to take him to the vet. He had this like weird squishy sound on his head. So just keep your pets safe. Keep your cats inside. But the reason why keeping cats indoors is really important for wildlife is because they kill wildlife. And it's especially a problem for birds. With mammals, um, the smaller mammals that they tend to capture repopulate pretty fast and they, they don't seem to be having as much of a toll on, on mammal populations in general. I'm sure there are species out there that are affected by cats. But there are absolutely 100% um, declines um, almost exclusively by cats on some bird species. And there's some there are some endangered populations of birds that are like really affected by by cats, outdoor cats. But in general, they kill large populations of birds, or they kill large numbers of birds. And one study estimated that the impacts were in the billions of birds, that they were killing billions of birds. Let me get the exact number. They estimated 1.3 to 4 billion birds 
annually and mammals 6.3 to 22 billion so unfortunately if you really love animals the best thing that you can do is keep your kitties inside and this helps keep them safe and this helps keeps your your wildlife safe and it also gives you peace of mind again because you don't have to worry to um, come uh, come home to an unfortunate surprise with any of your cats I would be so ecstatic if you implemented one of these tips, at least one of these tips, and took a picture of yourself and tagged me on social media, sent it to me. I would love to feature you. I am sure I'm missing additional tips, so if you know of some, let me know, and I will add them to future podcast episodes. Thank you guys so much for listening, and I hope you get to take some time and go outside, explore your own backyard and see if there's anything edible in it too. You can check out, um, I believe it was last week's episode on uh, foraging for food and Mark Merriweather said you can just start in your own backyard. So get started. The weather is getting nice now and explore and start making your backyard more natural. If you liked this episode, care about wildlife, care about conservation, or know somebody who is interested in going into wildlife biology careers, please share this episode. You can also rate and review my podcast that really helps people find it. My goal is to spread messages of conservation and kindness for wildlife and to help people navigate wildlife biology careers. Rating and reviewing my podcast really helps other people find it. If you have questions or show ideas, you can find me at fancyscientist.com. My social media handles are at fancyscientist. On Instagram, there's an underscore between fancy and scientist. You can also send an email to hello at fancyscientist.com. If you're an aspiring wildlife biologist, ecologist, or zoologist, you can join me every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Facebook Live, where I answer different career questions. You can also ask me questions on the spot. I'm here for you. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate every single one of you. I am so grateful for you. I hope you have an amazing day. Be kind to animals and be kind to each other.